Thanks again to Jared for leading us in worship. Jared, that song does call for a duet, and I'm a little bothered you did not ask me to contribute to that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of Genesis. We're going to spend the majority of our time in chapters 44 and 45. As you're turning there, just to remind us where we started, we started with the story of Adam. And we moved to the story of Noah, seeing God's promise and how it carries throughout. Uh, on week three, we looked at Abraham. Week four, Greg Baker walked us through the story of Isaac. Last week, we looked at the story of Jacob. And today, we will look at the story of Joseph. All of these summarized by the writer of the book of Hebrews, whom we do not know and we're not sure as to who he is. But he wrote this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Verse 7, he goes on to say, By faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen, and motivated by godly fear, he built an ark to deliver his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Verse 17, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, Your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, he mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. Today in our story passage, we're going to... Let me give you a clean outline to a, a messy narrative. Let me show you what we're going to see taking place in the text today. That this story is about the promise and providence of God. Not only is it about the promise and providence of God, it's about, the cha- it's about change and choice. Promise and providence, change and choice. There is one scholar who says that God changes those He chooses. And the story of Joseph and the story of the people of Israel up to this point is about God doing exactly that. He uses situations and circumstances to change his people. Tim Keller, a Presbyterian pastor, he says Jesus is the true and he's the better Joseph, who at the right hand of God forgave those who betrayed him and uses his new power to save them. We read through the the Old Testament, and when we read through the book of Genesis in particular, we're moving through it, seeing these rhythms of the story, as God gets us to this picture of Jesus that we see in Joseph. Because Joseph is the ultimate champion of the book of Genesis, in the same way that Jesus is the fulfilled champion of the entirety of the Bible, God's whole story. We're moving to Joseph, and we pick up with him in chapter 37. When we look into chapter 37, we see a story that you may or may not be familiar with. It's about a coat of many colors. Now, I'm not sure as to how familiar you are with the story of the coat of many colors. Maybe, just maybe. You remember that the movie that Dolly Parton made in 2015 about a coat of many colors in the state of Tennessee. I may have a picture of that. Anyone see this movie? It's okay if you didn't. Uh, It wasn't a big deal. That's not the first thought that comes to my mind when I think about the coat of many colors. I was a child of the the 90s and uh, went to high school, graduated in 1995. And during this time, there was this questionable fashion trend that came into play. 
And that was, there were certain companies that would take various pieces of fabric and they would assemble a shirt out of the fabric, a combined assortment of fabrics together to make one beautiful piece. Very much like this right here. Yeah, that, that's what we call the Friday Night Lady Killer. And a friend of mine was going on a date a few years ago. He was in high school just a couple of years ahead of me. Uh, this is probably, I guess, 10, 12 years ago now. And he said, hey, I want you to come over. I'm going through my closet to get rid of some stuff. I want you to make sure that what I'm getting rid of is okay. And, you know, like Calvin Klein or something. So I show up and we begin to go through his closet uh, looking at the various pieces. And he pulls out not one, not two, not three, but four shirts very much like this. And he said, do you think that this is going to come back in style? Well, maybe part of it. But not all at once. <laughs> what a shirt. What a life we lived. For Joseph, the coat that he wore that you may or may look more than likely, not like this by Tommy, more like this. And in Genesis chapter 37, we see and we know the story of Joseph and his brother. But we know that it starts with this coat, but it ends with this phrase. It's a phrase that you're going to be familiar with if you spent any time in church situations. Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I the one who's in the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. So they had a plan for evil, and God had a plan for good. What took place to get us to this evil spot where this young man, more than likely 18, 19 years old, wearing a coat of many colors, would eventually be in a place where he had been mistreated by his brothers. Genesis chapter 37, Joseph was the father's favorite. They, they planned to kill him. They eventually sold him into slavery. They didn't just sell him into slavery. They sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Uh, and, and then we begin to see, as we read through the text, there's this Past, this is rhythm in the text in the story of Joseph where you see that he would go down and God would bring him up. In Genesis 37 verse 25 it's, we see that they are headed down to Egypt. In Genesis chapter 37 after he has been betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery his father is thinking about his son and when he thinks about his son it says that he has gone down to Sheol. If you are unfamiliar with Sheol it is the traditional place of death in Judaism. So this father, as he considers his son Joseph, believes him to be dead. To his father, he is, as, he is dead. And to these brothers, he is as good as dead. He is a forgotten person. He is removed from the narrative. He is viewed as the favorite son. And the reason that he was viewed as the favorite son was because Jacob had two wives. This is not a commentary on, uh, on polygamy, but feel free to read from it what you want. He had one wife who had ten sons, one wife who had two sons, and he loved those two sons more. He loved Joseph the most. And these brothers could not stand him. When you read in Genesis chapter 37, you notice that they could not stand him because he had these dreams. And we will get to see these dreams come tr true today. Now, did he use the wording correctly? Did he work through the situation rightly? Was it the best thing for a 19-year-old to say to his older brothers, you know what, one day I'm going to rule over you? Probably not. Chapter 39, after he has gone down into Egypt, he is lifted up. 
he's lifted up because when he's sold into slavery, he's bought by a name, man named Potiphar. Potiphar had a, a home and he puts Joseph because he is such a good worker in charge of the home. The Bible tells us that Joseph was handsome. Here's the thing though, fellas. We all think we're handsome. We can read ourselves into this story because every one of us thinks that we are swole. We are told that he is incredibly handsome. He is so handsome that Potiphar's wife, an older woman, picture Blanche Devereaux from the Golden Girls, she throws herself at him. And when he scorns her, she lies and he is thrown into prison. Chapter 40, while he is in prison, down in the prison, he interprets the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer has a dream and when Joseph interprets it, he says, Hey, God, we're going to see this. Pharaoh is going to restore you to power. That's the kind of interpretation you want. For the baker, the baker, Joseph tells him, you're going to be killed by the Pharaoh. Uh, that's not the type of interpretation that you want. Joseph tells the cupbearer, when you get restored to power, remember me when you stand in front of the Pharaoh. Here's the thing, though. People don't always remember. He's left in prison for two more years. However, in chapter 41, the Pharaoh has a dream, and the cupbearer, who had his dream interpreted by Joseph, remembers that there is somebody in the prison. And he goes down and brings him up. When he brings him up, he interprets the dream and he gives specific instructions of how Egypt is going to survive the famine that is to come. Oh, chapter 37, chapters 37 through 41, if you're looking along, it's a great place to be. The, the, proposed, the proposal of Joseph pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And he said to them, Can you find anyone like, like this? A man who has God's spirit in him. So Pharaoh said to Joseph... Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you are. You will be over my entire house, and all my people will obey every one of your commands. Only I, as king, will be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I'm placing you over all of Egypt. Joseph has had these recurring detours, one pastor says, as he, as he goes through his life, taken down, brought up, taken down, brought up, taken down, brought up. Difficulties, circumstances, situations that would put him in hard places. And in each of those, he chose to be faithful to God and to trust God to carry him through. Pastor Tony Evans says this, Detours are typically inconvenient distractions taking you off of your pre-planned route to arrive at the destination that you were seeking to reach. How many of us are missing the fact that what we are going through right now may simply be a temporary detour to get us to where God would actually have us to be and that this is part of it through what's called providence. Joseph is given a, a signet ring in the passage. And this ring is really important because it means that Joseph stands as the king of Egypt. He can sign for Pharaoh. He can, do, he can speak for Pharaoh. Anything that Joseph says is as the word of the ruler of that world. Chapter 42, there's a problem. The brothers who had sold Joseph, they need grain because of the famine in Canaan. And there is only one place left to get it. Where is the place? Dun, dun, dun. Egypt. Joseph 
tests them. There wasn't lots of rhythm to that, but I'm okay with it. Joseph tests them. So we go in chapter 42. They go to get grain from Egypt. He treats them like strangers who want to overthrow Egypt. He treats them as if they are spies from another place that want to take over all of Egypt. He does this to test them. He keeps Simeon, one of the brothers, with him. Sends the rest of them home, but he loads them down with grain because he knows they're going back to his father. A father who he cares for. Chapter 43, they've eaten all of their grain. They run out and Israel, their father, that's what they're calling Jacob now because they changed names in the Bible because they like to confuse people in the 21st century. They ran out of grain and Israel allowed them to take Benjamin. Now this is a big deal because Benjamin is the last son of Rachel, Joseph's younger brother. When they get there, Joseph throws a party. When he throws the party, he has the ten brothers and he puts their food in front of them. He has Benjamin over there as well. He lines them up in their order of their age, which should give you some type of clue as to he knows who you are, but it doesn't because, you know, they're hungry. Benjamin sits there and Joseph gives Benjamin five times as much food as the rest. This favoritism thing runs in this family. When he gives him all of the pizzas, they're sitting there to kosher, no pepperoni. While they're sitting there together, in chapter 44, there's another test that takes place. After he has blessed them, he loads them up. More grain for Jacob. More grain to bless Canaan. More, more grain to, pro to provide for his family, who he has brought to this powerful position to care for. He sends them down. But he frames Benjamin with a silver cup. As he's walking out the door, he puts a cup in Benjamin's bag of grain to see what they will do. To see how they will respond. Not only do you see the rhythm of down and up throughout the, book of, uh, the story of Joseph, you see another one. Uh, the idea of silver is mentioned 20 times in this story. Silver over and over. Joseph sold for 20 pieces of silver. As you run the rhythms of the book, the 20th mention of the piece of silver is right here. The 20th mention of silver right here in this passage. Joseph, it, it, it's almost working like... If you're unfamiliar with music, anybody, who's a musician in the room? Okay. Who's played an instrument in their life in the room? When you play worship music, we run off what's called a click track at times. And there, it just helps you to keep the beat of the songs. There is a running click through the story of Joseph. Silver, 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 silver. Building an anticipation for this final place where we're going to see the closure of what's happening here. At this place, we see Joseph interacting with his brothers. Verse 18. Wait, verse 13 rather. They tore their clothes... Now that's a big deal that they would tear their clothes because it reminds us that they felt what Jacob felt when he found out Joseph was dead. Joseph has just said, I'm going to keep Benjamin as a captive. I'm going to keep Benjamin. He's going to be my slave. I'm going to do this. And the rest of the brothers begin to tear their clothes because they are sensing in a way what their father felt when Joseph was taken away from them. They felt what Joseph felt. They tore their clothes. And in chapter 44, verse 18, 
we can see that Judah is a changed person. 44, picking up in verse 18. Judah approached him and he said, My, my Lord, please let your servant speak personally to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, for you, friend, are like, you're, you're like Pharaoh. You're like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or, or a brother? And we answered, my Lord, we have an elderly father and we have a younger brother and the child of his old age. The boy's brother is dead. He's the only one of his mother's sons left and his father loves him. And then you said to your servant, bring him to me so that I can see him. But, but we said to the Lord, the, to you, my Lord, the, the boy cannot leave his father. If, we were to leave, if he were to leave his father, his father would die. And then you said to your servants, If your younger brother does not come down with me, you will not see me again. This is what happened when we went back to, to your servant, my father. We reported to him the word of my Lord. But our father said, go again and buy us a little food. We told him we cannot go down there unless our younger brother goes with us. If our younger brother is not with us, we cannot see the man. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One is gone from me. And I said, he must have been torn to pieces and I've never seen him again. If you also took this one from me and anything happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. Judah is meeting with David. It's interesting that Judah is the one that's having this conversation with his, or with Joseph. rather. It's interesting that he's the one having the conversation with Joseph. Because it was Judah's idea to betray Joseph to begin with. It was, it was Judah's idea to turn his back on his brother. It was Judah's idea to allow him to be torn supposedly by these random animals. It was Judah's idea for Joseph to no longer be part of their family. It was Ju Judah's idea for him to be pushed down. So, verse 30, Your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us. His life is wrapped up with this boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, my father will die. When he sees, then your servants will have brought the gray hairs of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy. If I do not return... Him to you, I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. Now please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in the place of the boy. Judah, in this story, has learned just a bit about change. Again, we are seeing a story where at the very beginning, he's turning his brother over because his brother had gotten on his nerves. And here... He's saying, I'll lay my life down for this brother. I will lay my life down for the wrong done by this younger brother. I, I love my father that much. I love my brother that much. I know that how hard this is going to hit everyone that much. I know what's going to take place. 
How can I go, verse 34, how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. All of this is God showing us through the story of Joseph how the people that he loves, they change over time. How there is, a, is to be a consistent change in the way that we see situations, in the way that we respond to difficulties, in the way that we treat our own sin, in the way that we would look at what we've done in the past and because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, be more like Jesus at this point than we were then. We look at this passage and we can see that Joseph is in this place of power. And as he is in this place of power, he is seeking in every way, shape and form, to see if there's any transformation in his brothers. His brothers who would betray him. His brothers who would mistreat him. His brothers who would do things to him that were unacceptable. And we see this change. And if we're asking hard questions this morning, and I know that we're all in different places and we're all in different... Maybe you're here and you've never placed your faith in the work of Jesus Christ. And God may be inviting you into his family this morning in the unique way that he does. But because I know lots of you, if you're coming to church during a pandemic, there's a good chance you're a Christian. Maybe, just maybe for you, you look at your own life and there was a place where you placed your trust in Christ, your faith in him. And, and I would ask you this, now on this day, so many days removed from that day, how much more are you like Jesus now than you were then? As we see the maturity in Judah in this passage, would you say that there is a maturing that has taken place in you? As you consider what it means for you to have walked with the Lord for however long you've walked with the Lord, do you see your response to the hardships in life that you face as something that is growing and more like Jesus than your response was to similar hardships from 15 years ago? Are you different because of what God has done for you in Jesus? And by different, do you, I mean, are you being made more and more different still? Two big Bible concepts at play. One, that God would justify, make us just like Jesus. The other is this idea of sanctification. That God would form in us, God would work in us, God would transform us. That we would be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. See in this story, in, this, in the patterns that this passage unfolds for us, that Judah is taking responsibility that he would not have taken all those years ago. How does your life look different now than it did then? We get to chapter 45, verse 1 through 4. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendants. So he called them out. Send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept loudly so that the Egyptians heard it. And also Pharaoh's household heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Which makes absolute sense that they would be terrified. Because though jo Jacob thought he was dead, these brothers had treated him as if he were as good as dead. And here, right in front of them, is someone standing. And he is not just standing. He is reigning and he is ruling over them. This isn't the first time that he's done that. We see the first time they meet with Joseph. What do they do? They bow down before him. 
The second time they come to Joseph for more grain, they bow down before him. Here, as they returned after him, after being tested by this piece of silver, they bow down again. Three times they bow down, fulfilling the prophecy that Joseph has early in the book that they were so frustrated about. We see this text showing us that God is faithful, that God is providential, and that God is working all things to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And His faithfulness is not subsided by our faithlessness. God at work. We pick up in verse 5. And now, don't be grieved or angry with yourself for selling me here. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Not just your life, but the life of all of our people. Verse 6, For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant with the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Verse 8, Therefore, it was not you who sent me here. God sent me here. He has made me a father to Pharaoh. That's pretty important for us to take note of, that he would be the father to Pharaoh. If they were to say to Pharaoh, Who's your daddy? He would say, Joseph. The reason this is helpful for us is because this whole story of the family of Abraham starts with God telling this man, you will be the father to many nations. And here we're getting a small micro glimpse of his fatherhood. That God would reign and rule over all of Egypt. That his people would be there presiding. God told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And right here, God displays that he's the father of many nations. His promise, His providence intertwined together, working together. Uh, we have numerous similarities in the story of Joseph with the story of Jesus. I would not want us to miss any of those. When we read through the story of Joseph, we see that he is loved by the Father. When we read through the story of Jesus, we see that he is the only begotten Son of God. When we read through the story of Joseph, we see that he was mocked by his brothers, which represent Israel. When we read in John chapter 1 of Jesus, we see that he was mocked by Israel. He came into his own, and they did not receive him. When we read the story of Joseph, we see that he was sold for 20 pieces of silver. When we read the story of Jesus, we see that he was sold for 30. When we read the story of Joseph, we see that he had a robe and he was stripped of it. When we see the story of Jesus, we see that he was stripped of a robe as well. When we read the story of Joseph, we see that he was delivered to those who were not Jewish. In this case, the Egyptians. When we read the story of Jesus, we see that he Gentiles. When we read the story of Joseph, we see that he was falsely accused. When we read the story of Jesus, he is falsely accused. When we read the story of Jesus, we, Joseph, we see that he is tempted yet faithful. When we read the story of Jesus, he, is, he sees the same. Joseph is imprisoned. Joseph stood before rulers. Jesus stands before rulers. Joseph, he, he, his power was acknowledged by those in authority. Jesus, his power is acknowledged as he stands in front of Pilate. We see Joseph, that he saves his rebellious brothers from death when they realize who he is. And friends, that's the offer that he makes to each and every one of us who do not know him. We are rebellious people and he is offering salvation for those who would see who he really is. 
We see that Joseph is exalted through his humiliation. We see the same of our Lord Jesus. Joseph fulfills God's purposes through pain that none of us would ever want. In the same way that Jesus would do the same, though he would say, take this cup from me if you would. We see that Joseph fulfills God's purpose. We see that Joseph is the one who God uses to bless his people through the hands of these Gentiles. We see the same of Jesus. We see that Joseph welcomes Gentiles to this party with his family. We see the same of Jesus. We see that he feeds the hungry and we see the same of Jesus. We see that people will bow before Joseph and people will bow before Jesus. This whole story is telling us about Jesus. The better story of Jesus. John Piper says this, He's Jesus, uh, that Joseph wins the obedience of the people, not coercively, but by dying of the people, rising again, freeing them from their guilt, triumphing over, triumphing over all their fears, making them perfectly secure on the basis of his obedience and not their obedience, so that in the circle of Christ they are totally secure, totally safe, totally happy, out of which they enter wor- the world in obedience to their king. This whole story finds its fulfillment in Jesus. And through Joseph in this passage, God is reversing the curse and fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Friends, we are invited to be part of this story and we're invited wherever we happen to be. Possibly, just now, you hear this and you see yourself as a failure, as a traitor, as someone who is very far removed from God. And let me just say this to you. These brothers, they're not great in this passage. But God meets with them And God shapes them. Maybe you are very much like Joseph and you were in the pit. I'm not sure what pit you would be in. But as you are wrestling and struggling with this pit, I would encourage you by saying that the God of providence and promise that we see in this passage, He is saying to you right now, because of who Christ is, I can lift you out of that. But don't miss what I'm teaching you while you're there. Over and over, we can look through this story and we can see ourselves maybe, just maybe, seeing the possibility that we are in positions where we could care for, where we could bless, where we could could do things in the lives of those who are hurting and struggling because God has given us, in some sense, a place of power. What would you do with the power God gives you? Over and over in this passage, we see the story, in this story of Joseph, we see the places where we can find ourselves Would we find ourselves there and not miss that God is right there with us? Because God chose to come down and meet us. The God who is Emmanuel, God God who became flesh and dwelt among us. This morning I invite you to bow your heads with me this morning. Jared is going to sing and I would invite you to sing with him. But attempt to see yourself in the story because the writer of the book of Genesis would hope for you to do so at times. If you've never placed your faith and hope and trust in Christ, would you know that you are rebellious and sin hope in this world and in the next is to trust Him, to bow down before Him?
maybe you're in a pit and you really want to get out of it and I would not be shocked because who wants to be in a pit? Would you see what God is doing there before you try to keep moving out of it? Maybe God has blessed you. Would you ask how can you be a blessing to those who you interact with? God is attempting to show us through His Word that He meets His people where they are. And I would pray that would happen for us today. If you need me, I'm in the back right-hand corner. And I would love to pray with you, to encourage you. We sing together.